0: Hi, I'm Hedgeye's founder, Keith McCullough. Thanks for listening to this real conversation. If you like what you hear, you will love our investing research. We bring transparency, accountability, and actionable investing ideas to investors big and small. I'll put our investing process and team up against anyone in the world. Please visit Hedgeye.com to subscribe and learn a better way to invest. Hi, I'm Keith McCullin. Welcome back. This is the sixth conversation I've had in two days. We do three per day and uh, certainly last today, but uh, not the one that uh, most of you would say is ever last when it comes to having an opinion. And uh, I'm quite happy to welcome you back to Hedge Eye TV, uh, Mr. Jim Chanos. It's great to, great to have a conversation with you.
1: Good to see you, Keith. Thanks well, for having me.
0: You, you look great, and you're back on the prowl, you know, like as you would be. <laughs> so he's, you know, so Chanos is doing his class at Yale. Uh, I think we have a, a picture of the new uh, business school at Yale. He's got his new class, and it's, you know, back for, for more. It's bigger than it's ever been, and I want to get into that quickly. Um, and, and you said you're going back and forth between Yale and New York, and that's kind of your gig until May?
1: Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of, a I'm, I'm, and uh, I'm actually in Miami for most of the winter, so uh, I've had to put up with the crypto bros um, in, in Miami for the last couple of weeks, but uh, it's, uh, it's fine. I'm in New York and New Haven early in the week and uh, in Miami late in the week.
0: Well, that, 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 we got to get right into it on that front, on the crypto front. I mean, what an amazing thing to have Jim Chanos walk in! I think you said you have like sixty students. Uh, you, you you walk into a guy walks into a room and he's not bullish on crypto at a, at a at a big, you know, Ivy League college. Like, what gives?
1: Well, I mean, I, it, it's it's one thing to have a view on, on on being bullish on prices. It's another to sort of question a lot of the, the underlyings and I think that's. That's one of the things that, that concerns me about the space is just what are the economic drivers that will will fund this massive infrastructure that, that uh, Silicon Valley and now Wall Street are building around it. Um, you know, When you look at, at some of the economics behind it, it, it other than, than price going up and to the right on the various coins, it's hard to see. Uh, where, where the long-term economics are. Uh, Bitcoin mining has returns now, but those will diminish with time, and it's very capital-intensive. And then all the various wacky lending programs where you, you lend out your uh, Bitcoin on an exchange and, and uh, into a stable coin, and, and then you know, someone pays you, quote-unquote, uh, 8% or 10% or 12%. Um, you know, I, I just keep asking, what's the economic engine behind that? and, and I, I can't get good answers and that's, that's what's concerning because that's what raises the issues of, of a Ponzi scheme where you're just being paid off by the proceeds of other people lending um, and then of course we can get into NFTs which is kind of the, 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 the fraud playground of, uh, of crypto.
0: Yeah, the, the the Ponzi piece on you know, the proceeds of other people lending, like that's something like to me, I just can't do it. I mean, it's not like I don't have some capital that I could allocate to, you know, to that kind of a return. Uh, I just don't I, I want the return of my capital. Um, is there anything there that you sunk your teeth into? I know you've sunk your, you know, your talents into Coinbase, like on that on that specific topic that, 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 that you could educate people on.
1: Yeah, well, Coinbase is sort of a different story, and Coinbase is just over earning. Um, But but what really concerns me is some of the the stuff that's going on in in the sideshows, the rug pulls, um, the various different hacks, and and you know it's very very hard for people to get their accounts insured. The exchanges are insured, but the accounts aren't insured for the most part. Hmm. And it gets back to actually one of the guys I teach about in my class, John Law, who might be the greatest you know, financial fraudster of all time, but he was also one of the first sort of serious thinkers about fiat currency. And one of his ideas was that uh, people will distrust fiat currency for all the obvious reasons, debasement, printing of money, all the things we know about. But the state does have the ability to be a lender of last resort and adjudicate fraud in times of, of stress and risk. And while he didn't uh, say it specifically, he alluded in a couple of instances to the ability of the state to also provide in- deposit insurance. And so there's lots of things that fiat has that are advantages that the decentralized crypto uh, world doesn't have. And I think that's that's kind of an important point. But, but more importantly to this discussion is what are the economic drivers, and what are the financial drivers, and what are the business models? that that underlie a lot of this excitement about crypto and 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 that's where it's kind of hard to to find anything that looks sustainable
0: well when you say coinbase is over can you explain that
1: yeah so uh they're they're really their revenues uh, uh recently were roughly annualized were about four percent of the assets they have under their umbrella and and just to put that in perspective you know and by the way coinbase is really more like a broker dealer than an exchange um, Schwab is Schwab uh, I think revenues to assets are uh, somewhere around 20 basis points 25 basis points for a trading operation usually revenues it might be one percent to one and a half percent of assets um, and, and and here these guys are at four uh, percent they're being undercut by fees the retail accounts are paying you know as much as 20 to 40 times as much as the institutional accounts are at coinbase so all of that's just going to get competed down. And, and, and yeah. you know, this is not a call on the price of Bitcoin or Dogecoin or anything like that. It's just simply they are over-earning like any broker-dealer does at the beginning parts of a bull market or the end parts of a bull market when retail gets involved. Retail flooded into Coinbase in 2020 and 2021. They earned a ton of money on it. Uh, but now that volumes are down and, and commissions are coming down, uh, it's going to be a different story.
0: Well, it's an interesting and one. They're not
1: making money. They'll lose money on a gap basis this year, um, even though they had just monster earnings last year. Um, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. And so, you know, the stock at, at wherever it is, 160 bucks, um, and not making money in the next handful of years with a book value somewhere a little bit north of $20, um, seems a pretty rich undertaking to us.
0: Well, especially if it's a broker dealer that had a bunch of bubble stocks in its brokering. I mean, you got um, Mike Green made this point yesterday. I mean, twenty seven hundred, um, you know, token IPOs through Coinbase. I mean, like that's all in the numbers, right? Like that's that's what got you yeah. there. Um, I think you call yeah. it you called Coinbase itself a bubble stock, but we're talking about bubbles inside of bubbles. Like it, you couldn't quite actually find one stock. To short, you know, in the prior bubble that you were successful in shorting, <laughs> that could really capture well, we were, all we were, the bubbles. <laughs> we
1: were short Robinhood for, for for most of last year and into this year, and and Robinhood has come down obviously quite a bit. Robinhood now trades at less than one and a half times tangible book, and okay. it's losing money. It's got basically you know the same profile, and in some cases the same type of client base that Coinbase does. And you know that would put that would put Coinbase somewhere between thirty and forty dollars. Um, wow. It gives you an idea of the of the the risk here in the name. Uh, you know, and same thing with with uh, you know take a look at at SoFi. Um, SoFi is trading at, at at slightly over one times book. Um, so these a lot of these um, DeFi companies or fintech companies are kind of one by one falling back to earth as people realize that the business models are far more pedestrian than people think.
0: Well, and another one that you nailed on this front, not to get away from crypto, uh, fully here, because I'm sure we'll come back. But, you know, DraftKings. I mean, you've been, I, I think you've, I mean, you're short this stock from a very high level. Did you stay with something like that? And again, it's the same kind of community, right? We have, it's different this time. Big TAMs, a lot of idiots, gambling, buying shit, selling shit, crypto, stocks, you know, SPACs. It's all kind of like you're short the same customer base, by the way.
1: Yeah, I'm short the guy that came up to me in Miami on, on Friday afternoon uh, and yelled across the bar, "Hey, you're the dude that short Coinbase." And he, I kid you not, he had a Cosmopolitan in his hand. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> he was there for the crypto conference. It's the right. same people. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but but you get the idea. Um, yeah, DraftKings is kind of the. I mean, DraftKings was was right time, right place for that business, right? I mean, we were all inside. Online gambling was being uh, enacted by state after state. Uh, Now it's basically in in 40% of the population. Um, But it's profitless prosperity. I mean, the the, the online gambling guys are basically, you know, giving you you $2 to gamble a dollar and in the interest of, of, of growing their revenues and growing the TAM. But sports betting is not a particularly good business. I keep telling people (laughs) there is a reason that the sports book (laughs) occupies the worst real estate in any casino and that you can't get comped on even a billion-dollar Super Bowl bet. Um, It's just a very, very low-margin business. You're basically selling a commodity. You're selling a money line. And so when you're selling a money line with four or five other deep-pocketed people who are also willing to lose money, Um, You're going to see the kind of numbers that we're seeing in the U.S., and and the TAM numbers are way too high. Um, By our estimates, if you get 80% of the country um, gambling, you won't get Texas, this number of Sunbelt states you just won't get. If you get 80% of the adults in legalized gambling venues for sports betting, um, the TAM estimates you know a year or so ago were $25 billion in industry revenue. We think it's now running probably closer to nine to 10 billion with 80% um, And that's just not gonna, there's not going to be enough money there for everybody given how much money they're all spending. So you know DraftKings is, is just losing buckets of money. Um, and uh, I think we'll continue to do so for the foreseeable future. And the question will be how long can they continue to fund that and how long will investors let them continue to fund that? Um, before they kind of have to retrench and rethink their model. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. If you go, um, first of all, all, uh, all companies I've asked you about so far, and the one I'm going to ask you about next, which is Beyond Belief Meat, we have models. I got analysts on all of them. You know, they're, they're stocks that we don't, you know, like particularly DraftKings, we've not liked it. Um, and every time I get on our morning meeting, Jim, it's like in my old seat, which is, you know, obviously doing what you do. You know, it's like, why can't the stock get cut in half from here? Like, you keep asking – I keep asking the same questions over and over. Same thing with – which we'll get to, um, you know, BYND, um, you know, Beyond Meat. The, those two analysts that I have, I mean, we look for two things. We look for rate of change slowdown in the revenue growth with a big multiple. If I have those two things, then the only thing that's going to get me to stop shorting that stock is a rate of change acceleration, um, and you know, at least in the top line and hopefully in cash flows. Like, yeah. I, I don't it, – it, 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 can you give people – I, I short stocks different than you short stocks. You, ta- you teach people how to short stocks, obviously, your own way. Is it, is it, is it too simple to, to not stay with those shorts than just that way, looking for the um, what may not be a, a, an acceleration, by the way? You may never get an acceleration. I, I don't know.
1: So I would add one, one factor to that. We look at the same things, Keith, but, but we're also looking for, in, in many cases, not all, but in, ca- in many cases, inherent unprofitability. Right. So that if you have if you have an insanely high valuation, you have rate of change decelerating in your top line, and you're already losing money or on the borderline of losing money, like like Coinbase, for example, then you've got the triple threat, right? You've got a you, you can argue then at that point that if the growth guys can't see a huge TAM being reached because revenue growth has turned negative or is or is flattening out and margins are so negative that that you can't grow your way out of the problem anymore and the stock is you know still at eight times revenues or six times revenues you know maybe down from 10 or 12 times revenues but companies like that often go broke and and so that is um that is i think the sweet spot there are lots of those stories in the marketplace right now a lot of
0: them i mean a lot of
1: them came public and were promoted in 2020 and 2021
0: well, the difference between this time and when I got into the business, and you're a wily veteran at that point on the short side, uh, 1999, 2000, 2001, like the people that aren't in the business anymore, Jim, that, that came out of the same Yale campus that, that, that we just you know showed that beautiful new building, yeah, they're, they're just the ones that didn't understand that. Like, I got lucky because I covered the consumer, right? So I wasn't the tech or the telecom analyst. So I couldn't fuck it up fast enough, right? And and now, but but we're in a place where even on my own research calls, I'll hear you know our own analysts talk about a stock that's trading instead of thirty times revenue, it's trading at twenty times or ten times revenue. What is what is it about this one? We have way more market cap. Obviously, we have way more liquidity that funded the market much cap. Bigger,
1: you know, much bigger, so, much bigger. So yeah.
0: what like do you do you feel the need to even like even if only intellectually tie them together? Um, the, the, that bubble and this bubble, or is this just in orders of magnitude? No,
1: I've told clients that, that, that what we saw in 2019, 2020, and first half of 2021, was really the dot-com era all over again, except on steroids. Um, that the number of really crazy dot-com stories, the ones we all kind of remember, you go back and look at them, their market caps were actually not that big. No. Um, <laughs> right. the pets.com was in the hundreds of millions of dollars some of the you know obviously you have the cisco's which i which you know to me tesla is today's cisco that were were real companies that had real market caps but but you know the stock went down 90 percent and still isn't back to those levels but those were were rare um you really the the sort of garden variety kind of crazy valuation the dot-com era was 2 billion to 4 billion dollars that kind of went to 200 to 400 million right and today, those, those ideas a year ago um, were often $20 billion to $40 billion. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just meaningfully, meaningfully larger market caps for, for what are basically glorified business plans that may or may not ever work out. And, and that's the difference between what happened last year and what happened in 2000. Um, you just saw the size of deals, the amount of money people were pouring into these sort of questionable business models. And the, the, the sort of fantastical TAMs that people came up with to justify the valuations was really, you know, one for this generation.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's it's amazing. I mean, I, I remember, you know, shorting FogDog.com. I mean, again, I was a consumer analyst. And if you're looking for rate of change slowdown in, in the year 2000, you got it. If you're looking for companies that had epic market caps and multiples, you got it. And a lack of profitability. There's check, check, check. You know, you could do okay on Jim Chanos' you know class at Yale if he tests you on that. Um, but the crypto side of the bubble—no, you
1: need fraud. You need fraud for my yeah. class. Oh, you need we'll fraud. for that too.
0: Well, fraud, man. I, I, I just watched that bloody WeWork thing on Apple TV. We we uh, we imploded or whatever it's called. Oh my God! I mean, these things are. I just like it's just not the life I live. I I can't believe that people got away with this and got funded. By the
1: way, a lot, uh, just for your viewers, a lot of people don't realize WeWork went public in November.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're shorted. It, I mean,
1: it's it, it it <laughs> stuck out through via SPAC. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's still there.
0: So back on the, on the crypto side, you know, like, it's one thing to debate, you know, whether it should go from, you know, 10 times revenue to five times revenue to something times cash flow if they actually have cash flow. But the bubbles, like Doge, whatever the coins are, like, how, how do you put that in your own, you know, in your own version of financial market history,
1: yeah. Well, so so the trading of those things all peaked in the first half of last year, uh, and that's that's one of the problems that Coinbase has is they're they're up against you know that that mania, right? Um, you know when 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 Elon was was touting Dogecoin for example, and and any coin kind of went to the moon, you know upon uh, upon initial. That's not happening today. And, and if you look at sort of the second derivative, the prices of NFTs, um, not only has activity cratered, but pricing uh, by by many accounts is now down uh, for a lot of NFTs, um, same sale, you know, down 40, 50, 60 percent since January. Um, so there's a lot of carnage that's occurred in, in the second or third um, uh, derivatives of this, of this space, as you would kind of expect, right, as, as people yep. floated more and more kind of. Um, ideas to take your money. And, and um, I think that, that that's the, the real problem. There's people sitting on a fair amount of losses in the crypto system that, that, that a lot of people aren't, aren't uh, acknowledging because they're looking at some of the big coins that have basically held their values.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you looked at um, the maestro, as I like to call them, the MSTR on the short side?
1: Well, remember, MicroStrategy was one of the great stories in 2000. Um, if we want to square, square the circle, at Mr. Saylor, uh, you know that was that was one of the stocks that that almost kicked off the bear market in tech stocks in uh, in April, uh, March, April, May of 2000. Uh, the, there were some there was some issue with the accounting, as I recall. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, we've looked at it, and and uh, we, we actually uh, did a trade in a year ago when it got at a monster premium to the underlying assets. And, we, you know, we look at it from time to time. We don't have a current position in it, but uh, but we do look at it as, a, as a, a play. It's a leverage play on crypto. I mean, you've got, it's a two-edged sword, right? You've got a leverage play on it, but then you also have optionality value um, through the equity structure. So, um, you know, it's kind of a high-risk, high-reward way to play crypto trading at a premium is probably the way I would look at it. The trade Bitcoin. The implied value of Bitcoin is uh, is trading at a premium. The problem that he will have and others will have is when you have really true real time ETFs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember when I when um, I, I we sort of uh, unveiled uh, the Coinbase idea um, on TV, and and everyone kind of jumped down our throats within the next twenty four hours. Saying you know the old guy doesn't understand anything, <laughs> and and one of the biggest bulls on crypto said, you know it, it, it's it's he doesn't get it. Chainos doesn't get it. There's going to be ETFs in this, and there's going to and and the big wirehouses like Morgan and and Goldman and Merrill are all going to be trading crypto. And I just said, yeah, exactly. That's the bear case, not the bull case. If you're making just ridiculously large spreads on all this stuff and you're going to get ETFs, and you're going to get big banks putting capital behind trading it, you're not going to keep charging people 2 and 4% commissions one way on, uh, on trading uh, what's basically a commodity.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a very good point, as, 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 as many of the points are that you make. The, um, you know, the reason why I ask you about the mic, uh, the maestros because I was thinking about you know, Adam, uh, what's his name, Adam Newman from WeWork, and his behavior, and I think of Mr. Hope.com out there with the laser eyes, you know, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean you're a fraud if you behave that way, but it's 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 not normal behavior. Let's just say it, say it that way. Um, do, do do you have any thoughts on that beyond what you've already said, like in terms of? The, no, I mean, look,
1: as I said, there's a whole infrastructure. You know, a fear of missing out infrastructure that has been built around the fact that we don't want to miss this next big thing, right? right. That's just that the fear of missing out grips all of. Silicon Valley and Wall Street pretty much at this point. And and that's what you would expect after a 10-year bull market in technology stocks. Um, Everything up to now has worked. And so you don't want to miss the next big thing. The problem is, is that the last few big things had economic engines behind them that actually kind of you could understand. Um, And I'm still straining to find the economic engines behind the metaverse. And, and a lot of crypto and a lot of crypto trading and crypto lending and stable coins. It's just really when you try to keep drilling down into the economic engine that powers you know power the profitability to support the infrastructure, you can't find it. And 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 it kind of it still keeps boiling down to, you know, price goes up and to the right. That's why I'm that's why I'm involved. Well that I mean- that's a scary that's a scary uh that's the scary basis to, to build the whole industry based on.
0: Well, I mean, they scared a, they've scared a lot of people into into not wanting to YOLO or FOMA or whatever the hell you want to call it. I mean, it's not like if you take somebody that's in between my and your age. Let's just say, let's say it that way. Let's let's make it a Yale Princeton maybe uh, you know tilt you against Novogratz. Like he's you know, he's he's worth he's, he's worth a B or, or multiple Bs. And people look at a guy like that and they say, well, since he he likes it. And you know, let's not notwithstanding his financial incentives to like it. But people like that really get people thinking they they could miss the boat.
1: Sure. That's as old as human nature. I, I think I think it was Bernard Baruch who said, you know, the, the greater the mania, the higher the intellect that succumbs to it.
0: Right. So that's I mean, that, that I mean, to me, that's. There has been, like, an institutional pressure that I've I've come to realize here internally. Like, we have a daily crypto tr- – I just basically show people how to look at the bloody risk of the damn prices right. at a bare minimum so that they can understand what they're dealing with from a risk management perspective, right?
1: Yeah. The, que- uh, the question you should ask yourself is how and why, not who, right? And the, the, the in every great short we we've, we've been involved with there have been been really really smart people who owned it right and, and we couldn't ever figure out why and consequently you know we're considered reasonably decent short sellers and we've been dead wrong on lots of things yeah and if you shorted something just because kinecos and Chainos were shorted you're not doing your homework mm-hmm. it works both ways and and so that's what i keep asking about about the crypto space is don't add, don't tell me who's involved uh, um, tell me why they're involved and how they're involved and, and, and what is the underlying economics? That's the key thing that you should ask yourself. How is it that these exchanges can pay you 12% if you lend them your your coins? What yep. are they doing to earn more than 12%?
0: That is such an excellent way to to, to simplify like how one yeah. should approach it. I mean, the, the who part, I mean, like, I, I can go back to the peak of it. I could be on the side, I have four kids, so if you multiply them all playing three sports, you know, I'm on a lot of different sidelines and in rinks. Uh, and, and, and by the, by, actually by this time last year, it was all about who was gonna, I have a friend at Morgan Stanley who's got this one crypto that they're gonna start promoting over here. And that's what it, that's what it got to. You know, that, that was all about who. From people that have never made money in markets in their life. And that, to me, I mean, again...
1: Yeah, and how is, that, how is that not different from just basically NASDAQ stock speculation? You know, yeah. I've got a stock I'm going to promote that doesn't make any money, but, you know, could be the next big thing, get in on it. Well, it,
0: It's so it, different. It, well, it's just that it, it's the old, it's just like the, you know, casino floor. You bring in the lowest quotient, uh, you put them on the, the, the lowest value play. Like, if you could buy something for two cents, you know, on some crypto exchange, you're in, you know? You buy it for two cents and it goes to ten cents, so you know, you don't have to be a wizard to understand the return. And that's what drew in a much bigger, you know, a bigger ballast, I think, of people. Do you think that when this you know, if and when this all comes crashing down, which happens uh, as I call it in quad four, and, that, and that's when, again, as opposed to, I don't have to have a defunct economy like Sri Lanka this morning, um, but, or a, 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 somebody to default on their, on their sovereign <laughs> debt. But, you know, as long as I have the rate of change of the economy slowing and the rate of change of corporate profits slowing, in this case, we think corporate profits can go from basically 30% to towards 0% in the aggregate over a two quarter period, uh, from the fourth quarter. Like, to me, these quad four conditions perpetuate crashes of prices the crashes of imbalances
1: like well I, I, Keith I would ask if I would ask a more important question when you say profits how are you defining them are you probably of yeah. real profits or pro forma <laughs> as adjusted profits because that's the other big problem going on out here is that companies now and, and the SEC is really in my view has dropped the ball on this is is companies are just have licensed basically report things, Pretty much any way they want to, and and, and they obviously yeah. take advantage of that. So so Coinbase again, not, not to beat a dead horse, but Coinbase is a great example. I think the Street estimate right now is is for them to uh, to make adjusted EPS this year two and a half dollars. It was fourteen last year, and and but but the gap uh, numbers are are lost. You know the gap estimate is for a loss of I think over a dollar. That's well, a three and a half dollar swing between your adjusted profit and your actual loss is, I think, material. Mm-hmm. And and we continue to let companies sort of, you know, tell you how they want to show their numbers and what costs they want to exclude. And I think the the gap between reality and, and pro forma has never been greater.
0: Do you think that the new? Um, it's like one of the only. Uh, I guess the divisions in the White House that has somebody run, a new running it. Do you, do, you think, do you think that he? Do you think the new sheriff in town is going to be a sheriff or just uh, whistling past the graveyard on this?
1: Look, I, I think Gary Gensler uh, seems seems to be you know saying the right things and moving in the right direction um, in a lot of places. But you know, a it's a committee. He's the chair of a committee, right? right. There are five commissioners, um, and the SEC is under lots of political pressure. Uh, you know post gamestop and AMC last January um, you know the the number of congressional committees that were were beating on the SEC and he had barely started in fact I don't think he had started for a while um, you know to do something uh, to do to do something about uh, short sellers meanwhile short sellers got run over the whole thing um, and 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 a variety of other things that kind of were just politically oriented you um, it's really intense, and these people hold his purse strings and have oversight. So, you know, he's in a tough spot. I, I you know, they they've got to deal with uh, they're trying to deal with crypto with Treasury, figure out a framework for that. Um, you know, he's got, uh, of course, political pressure on the green disclosure, which is a whole other issue, and uh, and then a variety of things. But I, the one thing I would say, if if Chairman Gensler is listening in, uh, you've got to attack this pro forma stuff it it Mm -hmm. is really people will probably lose more money on that than almost anything else going forward on believing structurally unprofitable companies are profitable somehow
0: Mm, that's um well, you eventually find that one in the unemployment line too, because again, you can't just print jobs with with fake with fake monies all the time, right? I mean, so that's going to be part of how the story. Ends. I think the people are going to get pounded. I mean, if you if you if you put X amount into whatever NFT or crypto, and you're just getting pounded, and then then you lose your job, and here we are. There's a lot of components to how this could get nasty faster. Um, on that, like just just to give you an open shot at it. Are, are there any companies that? Because I don't, um, I don't know what you've said most recently on this topic. But are there any companies out there that we haven't talked about that you do think uh, fit that profile? Um, you know, most specifically. Well,
1: I, we are we are cautious, as I said, on the whole on the whole fintech space, right? The, the the whether it's the buy now pay later companies or, or it's the, the subprime lenders and drag, um, and and a lot of them are are selling the same snake oil that, that mortgage brokers sold uh, you know fifteen years ago. Uh, that that somehow uh, you know I've found a better way to lend money to bad credits that that uh, traditional banks and, and uh, lending platforms haven't figured out after a hundred years. Um, and 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 we keep relearning this lesson every bull market. That, you know there was a blow up in this space in the late nineties. There was another blow up in this space. Uh, in O two another blow up, as we know, in 2008, And there's probably another blow up in front of us here, whereby companies who, who claim, you know, we haven't figured out with our algorithm, these FICO scores are for the birds. Um, we know how to lend money to bad credits and, and get it back. And it, it, they all look good uh, as the cycle, the credit cycle is expanding. And they all tend to blow up when the credit cycle contracts. Um, you know, Bill Black, who, uh, who who wrote a great book called "The Best Way to Rob a Bank Is to Own One," <laughs> you know, has a great model I teach in my class about how, in financial services, it's really, really easy if you grow fast um, to show record profits because, you know, until the credit cycle turns, all the loans are good, and uh, and and, and you're earning a huge spread, and it's not till the loans go bad that you realize through the cycle that you never made money. And there's a whole ton of these things out there um, that are are trading at just insane valuations because they show growth. So they've they've wrapped themselves as tech stocks, where really they're basically subprime lenders.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I I
1: joke to my staff, there is a huge canyon between a high-growth tech stock and a subprime lender. And when... uh, when the market sees them as, as glass half empty for what they are, uh, just making a lot of questionable loans, um, you know the, the the drop in some of these stocks is going to be significant 80 90 in some cases a hundred percent.
0: Yeah, it was um, just recently one of the best parts about you know you being live teaching a class and being back and back and forth from New York or us just engaging with humans is that you can really I think and it's as a short seller for I'm dating myself now but 22 years um, I I get a lot out of meeting people like and, and hearing their their bull case like when I can look them in the eye and hear it through and que- ask questions have a conversation. So I find that very valuable. I was just in Florida uh, with a bunch of um, bunch of people in the business, and this one Texas billionaire who's basically became a billionaire through subprime, you know. And he's like, he couldn't believe, like something like a firm had a multiple that the stock was like 150 or 170 bucks a share. AFRM. I could, and I said back to him, you know what? I can't believe that I have some of the smartest hedge funds in the world. Um, you know, in, in some cases, uh, obviously, I wouldn't be speaking out of school. There, one in particular wasn't a client, but they this the, affirm was their biggest long position coming into this year, like a buy now, uh, pay affirm later loses company.
1: Money, and I think still trades at five or six times tangible book um, as a subprime lender. And here's the other little thing about the affirms of the world that I don't think people appreciate: most of them are financing of themselves through one bank in Fort Lee, New Jersey. And and is called Cross River Bank. It's privately held. Um, the fellow that runs Cross River is an interesting guy. Um, he was a mortgage broker, CFO of a mortgage brokerage firm on the East Coast during uh, the the heyday uh, uh, of the real estate bubble. Really. And so now he's uh, he's basically running this bank that's funding all of these companies, like a firm and upstart. And uh, I would bet you that his bank would not be trading at six or eight or ten times tangible book if it was if it was uh, uh, public. And and look, we have we have comps in this industry that go back forever. Um, you know, uh, the, the private private label credit has been around for a long, long time. Yeah. And, and there's not there's not a lot of new under the sun here, but every every bull market we find a whole other group of investors who just seem enamored with top line growth of a of a aggressive subprime lender until they realize that you don't want to grow fast in that business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably where we are in this part of the cycle.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's the best part about these shorts again is it's easy to call their rate of change decelerations and top line whatever it is that they were building this TAM multiple on. Uh, well, there's
1: another and there's another problem. They're basically dependent upon third parties or securitizations. And uh, for a number of these companies, they've already had to pull securitizations or their, their funding costs are starting to go up dramatically. So they have to deal with the credit markets, not just the equity markets.
0: Uh, on that, uh, my last question before I take questions from the queue, if, if you don't mind. W- what did you think about the, I mean, uh, a firm, just to, you know, not to pick on the same company, but you know, why not? Um, They're one of the first companies, along, and then it was Tesla, that couldn't get their ABS deals done. Now, um, yeah, I think
1: that's something we're watching. The ABS market is starting to tighten up um, clearly, and, and firm had that announcement uh, a few weeks back um, that I thought on a Friday night that I thought was significant. They they claimed it was no big deal, but it is a big deal. And and again, uh, you have to kind of watch what's happening in their correspondent bank relationships. But if rates start going up and stay up, there's a lot of business models out there, not just these guys. There's just a ton of business models that are really dependent upon ultra-low interest rates.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, the solar the solar panel lessors, for example, the guys putting up solar panels on your roof that, that lease them to you. I mean, you know, dependent on 2% and 3% interest rates. And um, uh, commercial real estate, which I'm still scratching my head over. Um, you know, Cap rates down at 3%, 4%, 5% for buildings um, just makes no sense to me. Particularly if government bonds are close to three percent, um, you know what are you what are you what are you buying a warehouse for? What are you doing this at a three percent cap rate, um, where your rents are kind of you know pretty much uh, structured? You're basically a bond equivalent. Um, the electric utility industry I've been railing at for now for a while, which just hitting all time highs. The electric utility industry has a return on invested capital like three four percent pre tax. And, and, and so, I mean, you, you've got whole industries that have, have kind of feasted on the zero interest rate policy for the last 10 years that are going to you know probably have a new reality going forward.
0: Uh, I'm not going to mention it, but there's this thing called the hedge fund industry and those who run Levered Long, like with massive exposure. There's a, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on out there. Um, all right. I'm going to ask uh, the, these questions, get voted up. And there's one, there's one in the queue. I think he says he knows you. So this is from Mike. Mike from the Principality of Monaco. All right, uh, Jim. At the outset, I should say I've always enjoyed our discussions when I was at Third Point. So I want to put you on the spot. Uh, what are the, what are two large or mid-sized companies that present the most compelling short-selling opportunities? <laughs> well,
1: well, I, I, I do that. I do need to save something for my client base. Um, so, uh, so I'll talk. I'll just talk about things that that we've we've. Been public on um, that. that uh, if you follow me on Twitter or whatever, you know, I've been I'm posting on. So those are either public or quasi public. I, look, I do think I do think Coinbase at thirty five billion dollars is nuts. It's just crazy. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it really deserves to be two thirds lower here. Um, you know, if we if it was a, if it's below fifty dollars, we could talk. But but at one hundred sixty. It doesn't make a whole lot of uh, sense to us and that's a that's a fairly large capitalization situation um and as i indicated you could hedge out if you if you see the correlation to uh, to bitcoin or ethereum or whatever you can you can he- actually hedge that out um that that to us is is a pretty pretty compelling you know mid to large cap opportunity um that 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 you know is going uh, to use your term is going into quad four um and I think that, that uh, um, in the smaller cap area, uh, you mentioned it earlier, but we, we just scratch our heads on Beyond Meat. Um, mm-hmm. this, is, this is such a silly promotion. Still trading at six times revenues. Um, uh, it, it, it really, uh, uh, it, it's, it's just a head scratcher for us. Um, their, their revenue growth has hit a brick wall. Uh, Wall Street is forecasting a big, big ramp in the second half. But if you look at the Nielsen and IRI data, which we do, uh, retail growth just continues to decelerate at the grocery store. Um, Then the street got excited about McDonald's, but the McPlant test seems to be very, very underwhelming. Um, And and meanwhile, the, the gross margins have imploded. The company is losing a lot of money. And what makes Beyond Meat so interesting is they borrowed money Instead of doing a uh, equity offer in twenty twenty one when their stock was going crazy, they did a convert, and that convert is sitting on the books while they burn lots of cash. Um, and you could see Beyond Meat in a couple of years getting into financial trouble, um, and, and that's not well appreciated for a stock that trades, you know, with only four hundred million in revenues, um, wherever it is these days. Uh, so that's a that's a smaller cap idea, and it's got a big short interest, so it's volatile. But it, it's a business that just doesn't seem to be worth anything close to where it's trading, particularly given its debt profile. And there's people with claims ahead of the company on the company than uh, these shareholders.
0: Yeah, they're, they're now talking about a promotional management team and a promotional company. I mean, what I love about that short, Jim, is one, you stayed with it uh, Two, its pre all the nonsense that we've talked about so far. I mean, this thing was a bubble that was pre pandemic came public, I think in what, 2019. And you had many opportunities to short it on rallies, and staying with something like that obviously m- made you a lot of money. Um, this is this this next question was inevitable. You know you're going to probably get it. Uh, thoughts on Elon and Twitter, and are you are you still short Tesla?
1: <laughs> yeah, we still have a we still have a put position in Tesla. Um, look, I mean he's done such a good job. I, I, in terms of getting to where he has to 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 give Elon the credit as it relates to Tesla. Um however, and there's a big however, and it, it remains has been my however for years now. This is a car company. It's still a car company. <laughs> it's a car company that's earning 30% gross margins. Um that is basically on the back of the fact that that not only are they getting uh high prices for their cars, but they're selling a product that doesn't exist called full self-driving full self-driving was was released in 2016 at six thousand dollars uh it's still now in beta tests six years later uh they're charging twelve thousand dollars for it uh the take rate is is you know it's not a hundred percent certainly but that's all profit to tesla um and it, it helps their gross margins dramatically number one number two is at one trillion dollars or plus, one point one trillion dollar valuation, not only do they uh, is the market cap equal to the entire rest of the global auto industry, and that's been the case for a while, but it's really implying that the fifty percent unit growth is going to have to continue. I like think I mentioned mm-hmm. that the last time I was at your shop, and and so far it has. But the problem you have is that you have the law of large numbers. The company is supposed to have about a 500,000 run rate uh, of deliveries in the fourth quarter of this year. So that's a 2 million million unit annualized. Um, In two more years, it's supposed to be 4 million. Um, And uh, just to put that in perspective, uh, the total volume of luxury cars pre-pandemic, $50,000 or more globally, was 2 million units for ICE and uh, EVs. So the street is assuming right now that that he will basically be doing 200 percent of all luxury cars sold globally um in 2024 and then it gets worse from there mm-hmm. um and so that's the problem this stock has is it has the law of large numbers it, you know it, it's got the cisco problem mm-hmm. you know, cisco got to an insane valuation in 2000 because everybody put their hopes and dreams on it even though it was still just making routers Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was going to be this, it was going to do that, it was going to get into fiber, it was going to do all kinds of things that they never really did, um, but they never really missed numbers either. And, uh, and yet the stock went down 80 some percent uh, from 2002 and, and it's still not back to where it, it peaked in 2000. Um, and I think that's going to be Tesla's problem. At $1 trillion, you've got the world baked into these valuations. Um, and uh, I think out of the money puts still make a lot of sense This is a bellwether stock. This is the most important retail stock in the market, by the way.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, What is it, 800, 900 billion in market cap still? Over a trillion. A trillion. Back to over a trillion. It's hard to keep track. Um, How about Uber? Uh, This question from Bill. In recent years, um, Chanos referred to Uber as a body shop. Um, I I don't know what that means, but um, that thing's been a dog too, obviously.
1: Yeah, we, we are, we've covered our Uber and Lyft shorts, but we are still short DoorDash, okay. um, and, and it, food delivery is even worse than ride-sharing. Um, <laughs> what I meant by body shop is, is that you really were at mercy of not only the labor markets, but la- labor regulation. And We've long said the gig economy companies were really kind of brilliant in how they, they played regulatory arbitrage with the the labor laws and and taxation and basically by calling their employees independent contractors they avoided um all kinds of of costs that normal employers have and and foisted that onto the uh onto the the drivers and now you've got a real problem because the drivers are having to face higher gasoline prices um and uh and higher wages right i mean you know it used to be that if you drove for uber and and made after expenses 10 or $12, you know, it's okay it as a part-time gig, whatever. But you can make $20 now on part-time gigs. Um, and and uh, and so the labor markets have tightened dramatically for them. Um, and food delivery is still just the toughest business because restaurant margins are very low anyway. And when you put two more outstretched hands, the driver and, uh, and DoorDash or whomever grubhub in between you know, we were short grubhub and and uh, they got bought out uh, by Just Eat and and of course grubhub immediately sunk them mm. because grubhub's business continued to get worse and 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 then finally the uh, gig economy companies are probably one of the biggest offenders in the pro forma world mm. of all the things that they exclude from their uh, uh, you know we're pro forma break even EBITDA break even, and so you'll hear financial TV say, you know, DoorDash expects break even this quarter or next quarter or next year, whatever. And you look at the income statement, they lost a few hundred million dollars that quarter. And so uh, you know it, it, it gets back to that same problem. Uh, although I did see a story that I think is important a few weeks ago, and that was, was DoorDash was going to uh, start offering more equity to its employees because the stock price had gone down so much. And that's the, that's the problem with equity-based compensation. Uh, if the stock keeps going down, you have to issue more and more stock for the same dollar value. So what was a virtuous circle on the way up is a vicious cycle on the way back down.
0: It's, it's nasty. Some of these shorts, Jim. I mean, just looking at your list of things you've talked about over the years, I guess this is kind of like, I'll take the last question or two. It's, did you think it would take... Like this long to play out, you know, go bubble to bubble, just taking the barbell of twenty-two years. Did did you do? You feel like you need to know? The, I,
1: I never, Keith. I never thought I'd see. I mean, in, in after the carnage of, of two thousand, you know, that on an alpha basis, we, we kind of fed on that for ten years, really, from from nineteen ninety nine to oh nine. Right. Um. And and I never thought I'd see that kind of of speculation again that we saw at the end of the dot-com era in 99 and early 2000 um but we did you know we saw it in the first half of 2021 and, and uh you know with the meme stocks and spAx and, SPACs and, and you, know, you can just check go right down the checklist um people lost their damn minds last year at this time mm-hmm. and uh, i never thought we would see that again um but we did and it took a whole generation um, uh, to, to rediscover, you know, buying stocks at 25 times revenues and, uh, and 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 funding loss-making enterprises with billions and billions of dollars of capital. Um, but here we are. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to try to take advantage of it for the next 10 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I know you're going to do it till uh, well, well, you and I will both do this till we're on the wrong side of the grass. And that's what that's it's what we love doing, right? It's not like we're bad guys trying to unearth untruths. It's just what it is. The, uh, my well, last
1: speak question. for yourself, Keith. Speak for yourself. So.
0: <laughs> well, my last question on this, and it, doesn't one come after the other? In other words, you know, you know, after the bubble starts to pop, don't the bodies eventually rise to the the dead bodies being rise to the surface on fraud. And and that's really, that's a point you you, you made quite seriously as you would any of your points. Um, Do you think that that, we're gonna go through a whole new cycle of dead bodies floating to the surface on accounting, everything that you alluded to? I
1: I think we will. I think a lot of it will be what Bethany McLean calls legal fraud. It's one of the models I teach in my class. And it gets back to this pro forma, not to beat a dead horse, but so many companies now have, have have portrayed their results quite legally in the eyes of the SEC and the Justice Department you know, in ways in which defy reality. That they're just simply going to point to that and said, like, "Look, you, you know, the ten Qs have the real numbers. Um, you you let us put this in our press releases and our conference calls. Um, so you know, the sorry. Um, <laughs> so I think that that uh, the fraud cycle will follow the uh, the business cycle. It always does. I think we'll see a lot of it. We've already seen some of it. Some of it's been in the private sector, like Theranos. Um, you know, others we've seen a few kind of glimpses along the way, like our friends at Valiant back five years ago. Um, but I think that that the real the real losses are going to be in these companies that were just never profitable and told people they were, and uh, investors are going to say, "Well, wait a minute. You know, how did I lose all of my money in in?" this sports gambling company, or this company, or whatever. Um, I was told that uh, pro forma, everything was getting better, and uh, they filed Chapter 11. And so, uh, that will be the problem. But, it, but also, keep in mind that, that I also basically teach that stock price is the fiercest defense attorney uh, and also the greatest prosecutor. <laughs> uh, it's not until people actually do start losing money that you get public uh, public outcry um to to tighten up regulations and laws. And again, we'll see that as well in the crypto area. As it regards to your first point about bodies floating up, I mean, we already have them. just people aren't aren't kind of noticing. I mean, there's been an absolute carnage in my industry in the last twelve months. Mm-hmm. Um, the long, short world has not acquitted itself uh, well um, and and there's some some, you know, basically big names uh, in our industry that are down, you know, 40%, 30% with the S&P up. Um, so it's not just, you know, well-known um, managers uh, uh, like uh, like Kathy Wood or others. Uh, it's, it's a lot of hedge funds have gotten, kind of drank the Kool-Aid last year. They abandoned their shorts just at the time they should have been adding to them and then, you know, bought up lots of tech stocks or Chinese stocks. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's also, that's also, you know, the, the history of the, in, of the industry. It's a whole new cattle class, I always say, of new analysts starting at new funds, and they have to make the same mistakes that the other ones did. And again, it's it's what it is. It's um, it's cyclical, I guess I would say. Uh, but thank you so much for for your time, man. I mean, it's like it's great to see you. It's great to see you. you're, you're fully loaded you know, for bear here. <laughs> you got it. You're going to so take speak. it. You're going to take it from New Haven to New York and back again. And uh, for those and I'm sure everybody's you know fired up to, to take your class. So well done on you for 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 making the time to do that for them.
1: I love doing it. I've got great, great students and, and both Yale and University of Wisconsin give me a lot of uh, support. So I appreciate that.
0: I like that. Both red and blue. See how he the guy, the guy, you know, he goes both ways, too. All right. Jim Chanos, the man. Uh, again, he goes long and short he, and, and spend some time, maybe rewind this one. This is one of the great short sellers of all time, and has done it in a way that's quite surgical. He has his methodology. You can go back and review uh, our prior discussions at the Hedgeye Summit with with Jim Chanos. And again, you're only going to learn things when you listen to him. Thanks for spending your time with us today. We appreciate it. Thanks
2: for listening to Real Conversations, brought to you by Hedgeye. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable, Hedgeye is not responsible for errors and accuracies or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the contents. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at hedge.com Terms of Service.